Today on Let the Bible Speak. The Bible tells us to be no more children, and then it tells us to become like children to enter the kingdom of God. Is that a contradiction? We'll talk about that next on Let the Bible Speak. Greetings and good morning. It's great to be with you today, and thank you for joining me for Let the Bible Speak. We often talk about the need to grow up as Christians, how that growing as a child of God means putting away childishness. For example, Ephesians 4 and verse 14 says that we henceforth be no more children. We're to become a full age when it comes to our understanding, our spiritual appetites, even our tolerance for different human opinions, and our treatment of others, and so forth. In fact, if we tell a grown person that they are acting like a child, we usually mean that as a rebuke. But yet on one occasion during the ministry of Jesus, He said that we cannot enter and take part in His kingdom if we don't become like children. Read with me in the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Mark, beginning in verse 13. There it says, And they brought young children to Him that He should touch them. And His disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased, and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, put his hands upon them, and blessed them. So if the point of Christian growth is to mature, what did the Lord mean when he said that only one who is like a child can enter His kingdom. Even the prophet Isaiah said that in the days of the Messianic kingdom, which is this church age in which we live, he says a little child will lead them. Well, what does all of that mean? It's not so much that we have the mind of a child or the behavior of a child, but that we possess the heart of a child. And that's what I want to talk to you about today, because you will only see the kingdom of God if you possess such a heart, having the heart of a child, and I'll return with that study after a song from the congregation.
When we call to mind a child, we typically think of innocence and purity. In fact, one of the worst crimes could be perpetrated against humanity, in my view, is that which harms a child, that which robs a child of his or her childhood and takes away their purity and their innocence. It's disgusting today how we are seeing the sexualization of children in our modern culture. Young children through the internet, through modern mass media, through the culture at large, are being exposed to worlds, to uh, behaviors, to perversions that ought to be an unknown world to them. Children are children, and they should be left as long as possible in that state of innocence and purity. Jesus loved children, and He used them in His ministry to teach some of the outstanding principles of His kingdom. In fact, Jesus didn't seem to espouse the later doctrine that children are born wicked and depraved because Jesus made children models of what it means to come to the kingdom. Jesus said in our text in Matthew 18 verse 3, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Well, how can a child lead us into the kingdom? How can a child lead us in righteousness if that child is sinful and wicked and depraved from birth as John Calvin and his later disciples have suggested. The Bible teaches instead that children are our pattern in righteousness. Uh, when prophesying of the coming of Christ and His kingdom, Isaiah said in Isaiah 11 and verse 6, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf, and the young lion, and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The disciples of Jesus viewed the promised kingdom, though, as a political power. And Jesus would therefore not be interested in the children that people were bringing to Him, but their response angered Jesus. And He didn't rebuke the children. He didn't rebuke their parents. He rebuked His disciples. And He said, Let the children come to Me. Of such is the kingdom of heaven. What did He mean by that? And how are we to be like children in order to enter into the kingdom, into the Lord's church? and to follow after Christ as His disciples. In what ways does a child lead us in the paths of righteousness? A child may not have much understanding. A child may sometimes behave in a childish fashion. But there are things about a child that should be imitated by anybody who is seeking the heart of God. That is the heart and the spirit and the purity of a child. Actually, a little child is the perfect picture in many ways of the innocent life and the pure heart that we must possess if we have any hope of following Jesus into His kingdom here, now, and ultimately in the by and by, entering His eternal kingdom in heaven. First of all, a little child sets a wonderful example of humility. Now, Jesus taught the importance of humility, in fact the necessity of humility, and He used a child as an example of what it means to be humble. He said in our text, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now the idea of a coming and conquering and sovereign kingdom you don't usually associate with a humble child. But Jesus did. Now let's think about some things about the spirit of a child. You know a child is typically loving. A child generally gets delight out of pleasing others, particularly adults, his or her parents or grandparents, his school teacher. And a child is teachable and correctable unless we, by example and a lack of discipline, teach them to be something else. 
Well, those things can't be said for a lot of people today because man comes to be controlled by what? Well, his pride. So the great Sermon on the Mount begins with the principle of humility. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3 records the beginning of the Lord's great sermon as he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, the key there is poor in spirit. He's not talking about people who are poor in money. It has nothing to do with how poor or rich a person may be in material things, even though Jesus did one time teach that it's difficult for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. But why is it difficult for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven? It's not that a man cannot have money and be in the kingdom at the same time. It's the fact that many times a person who is rich gets there because of his pride and his covetous spirit, and you generally won't characterize somebody like that as being humble. But it takes a humble heart in order to see the kingdom of God. Now, a man can't worship and exalt God until he stops worshiping and exalting himself. And that's what pride ultimately leads us to do. Jesus said the first requirement for any candidate for discipleship is the denial of self. Jesus said in Luke 9 and verse 23 that we are to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Him. We'll never take up a cross and follow Jesus until we deny ourselves, until our pride is crucified and done away with. The very nature of Christianity demands such denial and such self-abasement. The scriptures tell us that God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace unto the humble, James chapter 4 and verse 16. You may recall Solomon once made a list of six things which God hates, seven things that are abominations or things that are detestable in his sight. And the first thing on that list is a proud look, Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 and 17. Now God hates pride. And the scripture tells us that he resists a proud look. Solomon's pearls of wisdom, known as the Proverbs, renounce the pride of man over and over again. For example, seest thou a man wise in his own conceit, there is more hope of a fool than of him, Proverbs 26 and verse 12. Or in Proverbs 16 and verse 18, he says, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. He said, A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 23. And on and on we could go. God detests pride. And Jesus said, We will never enter his kingdom as long as the love and exaltation and promotion of self rules our heart. We're to become like a child in humility. Pride is what keeps people from accepting the teachings of the Bible. Some folks can't admit that they're wrong. They'll stubbornly persist in error because they can't bring themselves to admit that what they believed and what they've done or what they've practiced or how they've lived is wrong and it's sinful. It takes humility to confess sin. It takes humility to say to God, God, I've been wrong and you are right and I'm going to change. I'm going to humble myself and submit to you. Listen to Isaiah in the 66th chapter, verses 1 and 2. Thus saith the Lord, The heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me, and where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor, and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. Again, the poverty he's talking about doesn't relate to what you have necessarily in the bank, but it's what you have in your heart, a poverty of spirit. You bring nothing to God. You cannot strut into the presence of God. 
the portal to the kingdom of heaven is very low. And it takes a lowly person to enter through that portal. Now that's the kind of person who finds favor in God's eyes. The man or woman who could admit a mistake, who can confess their sin, confess that they've been wrong, who respects the word of God enough to crucify their own pride and their own will and simply accept and follow the Bible's teaching regardless of what the consequences of that may be, regardless of what embarrassment that may bring, what they have to admit in the process of doing so. You see, it was pride that has caused the downfall of man since the beginning of time, starting with Adam. Pride caused Adam to blame Eve in the garden for their sin. It was pride that drove Cain to kill his brother Abel out of jealousy after God rejected his sacrifice. It was pride that caused Saul, the first king of Israel, to disobey God's orders when God told him to go and destroy the Amalekites. It was pride that caused him to blame the people under his leadership for his own sin. It was pride that caused David to cover his sin by murdering Uriah. It was pride that caused Rehoboam to divide the kingdom of Israel. It was later pride that caused Peter to deny Jesus and Judas to betray him. It was pride that led the Jews to crucify him. It was pride that led Demas to forsake the Lord for the world. Pride is the greatest vice entertained within the soul of man. It is the beginning of nearly every sin that exists within our life, and God detests it and demands that it be cast out before he can dwell in our heart. Does your pride and self-will keep you from accepting the truth? Do you have a problem admitting wrong and confessing sin? Are you able to admit that you've been misled or willing to embrace what is right, even though it goes against maybe what you've always believed or what loved ones believe and practice? You see, many to whom Jesus preached had to have enough humility to do that if they would inherit his kingdom. They had to realize their sinful condition and therefore their dependence upon Christ and look to him and his will and his wisdom instead of their own. But instead, they let their pride lead them to reject and ultimately crucify him. If you want to have the attitude of a kingdom seeker, look to a little child for what they teach us about humility. Second, a little child sets a wonderful example of sincerity. In fact, I don't know where you would find a better example of genuineness than by looking at your own child. Uh, we who are older have a tendency to be more concerned with appearances to the point of becoming hypocritical. Children are not that way. Uh, what you see is what you get. In fact, some children are so frank and so truthful, they often embarrass their parents. A child is what he or she is. And uh, they say what's on his or her mind, generally speaking. There, there's no pretense with a child. We unfortunately learn that trait as we get older. You know, few things are more genuine and sincere than a child and his or her relationship to others, but especially God. I mean, if a child doesn't like you, you're going to know that child doesn't like you. If a child loves you, that's going to be hard for that child to hide that fact that he loves and admires and likes you. And the same thing is true with the child's relationship to God, his, uh, his budding knowledge of God, and uh, that simple relationship that a child has to his Creator may not be the most eloquent, but you'll never hear a more worthy and heartfelt prayer than what falls from the lips of a small child, because they tend to express the real contents of their hearts. And you know they can teach us a great deal about being genuine and sincere. The word sincere, I'm told, comes from two Latin words that mean without wax. Now we only use the word to talk about somebody's character or disposition, but originally 
It has a broader meaning. I'm told that woodworkers and other skilled craftsmen used the term to refer to their craft. If a carpenter used wax or something like it to cover up flaws in the wood, the wood could not be referred to as sincere. If a sculptor used an agent to hide or repair a flaw in his work, his work of art could not be called sincere. Well, even today, the word essentially means the same thing in a moral sense. It refers to something that is without wax or in which there is no cover-up. Nothing is concealed or made to look differently than what it really is. Well, that's the way it is with a child. But how untrue with us so often. You know, most adults are surrounded by a cloud of pretense, whether we admit it or not. We're very careful to project an image of ourselves, and often that image is not what is really there. Well, God expects us to be sincere in everything we do or say. Our love for the Lord and for one another, for example, is to be without dissimulation, according to Romans 12 and verse 9. That means without hypocrisy. In other words, we're not to go about just saying we love one another or pretend that we love one another. We're not to go around just saying that we love God. The Bible says it's one thing to say you love God. It's another thing to actually love God and to prove that you love God. And we're to prove our love for Him. We're to prove our love for others by our words and by our actions. Joshua told the fickle children of Israel long ago to choose once and for all whom they would serve, either the idol gods of their past or the God Jehovah, and he told them to serve the Lord in sincerity and truth, according to Jeremiah, or rather Joshua chapter 24, verse 14. In other words, stop paying lip service to God and give Him our heart. The Pharisees and the religious class of Jesus' day, they were insincere and they were full of hypocrisy and outward show. But their lives were full of sin and corruption. Jesus said, though, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Matthew 5 and verse 8. He's not talking there about moral purity. He's talking about sincerity and genuineness. And only the person with a heart that wants God and His truth above everything else will find and enter the kingdom of heaven. Our children lead us into the kingdom of heaven by their example of sincerity. Another thing that a child can lead us in is the paths of forgiveness. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 20, Brethren, be not children in understanding, howbeit in malice be ye children. So here's where I say again, the idea is not so much that we're like children in our mind, but we're like children in our heart. It's Paul's way of telling us that we need to imitate the spirit of a small child in dealing with one another. Now have you ever noticed how forgiving and long-suffering and really forgetful a child can be. In other words, kids don't normally hold grudges. If they do, they don't last very long. You can see some children out playing somewhere. They get into a fight, an argument, a tussle. They may argue, call one another names. They may wrestle with one another. They may stomp away and stop speaking to one another. But usually doesn't take more than a few minutes, at the most a few hours, maybe a day or two, for it all to blow over and things are back like they used to be. There are times when parents have to discipline their kids. And your children, they certainly don't enjoy the spanking they get or the discipline that you administer. They don't enjoy the scolding they receive. And they may pout a little bit, but it takes, doesn't take very long and it's all over. They're all smiles again. In fact, I might argue that when discipline is carried out like it ought to be and from the right motive and the right spirit and in the right measure, it almost provides a relief to that child who's been in trouble when it's all said and done. But contrast that with the average person in the church. 
Let an older person be rebuked for some wrongdoing or let someone be wronged in some way. They'll hold a grudge sometimes for years or a lifetime. They can harbor resentment and malice for the rest of their lives. That's where child sets a wonderful and a much-needed example. Jesus not only forgave, He taught us to forgive. In fact, He went so far as to say in Matthew 6 and verse 14, For if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Well, that's serious. Are you listening to what Jesus is saying? If we fail to forgive others, we can forget about being forgiven by God. And by the way, forgiveness isn't saying that we forgive someone and then talking about it to everyone we meet or holding that person's offense over their head for years to come. Forgiveness is instant, it is complete, or it's not forgiveness. And if you want to see what kind of heart God wants us to have toward others, watch how children forgive. And then last of all, a child leads the righteous in a confiding trust. This might be one of the most important points of all. Our children can teach us some important lessons in faith. You know, children aren't known to worry too much. Our kids don't tend to worry much because they leave the things that bring real worry to us, their parents. Children who are still in that state of innocence and purity that we talked about, they don't typically worry about where their next meal is coming from or whether they'll have anything to wear or a place to sleep because they trust that mom and dad will provide those things. Jesus told his disciples to take note of the lilies of the field and how God takes care of them. And he then reminded them, doesn't God care even more about you? Well, we're the children of God, and that's the kind of faith we need to have in our all-knowing and all-powerful Heavenly Father. A child usually thinks his or her dad can do anything. They think their mother can heal all of their hurts, so they go running to their arms immediately when they fall and scrape their knee or get in trouble. But God wants to be that kind of parent to you and to me. Paul said, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 4 and verse 16. Do you trust God enough to give Him your heart and your life, your troubles, your worries, your anxieties, your fears? and to rest in Him. Do you trust His Word enough to humbly obey it regardless of what it costs or where it leads you to follow? Do you have the faith of a child? Do you have supreme confidence in the promises of God that He'll do what He said He would do so that you will completely yield your life and your all to Him? Friend, the invitation of Jesus remains the same today. Let the children come to me, for of such is the kingdom of God.
It's no wonder that pride is described in the Word of God as one of the most primary and one of the most destructive sins that afflict the human race. We must be humble like a child if we will ever come to know and submit to the truth of God. If we can assist you in becoming obedient to the truth of the gospel as it is set forth in the scriptures, we would be glad to do so. And if we can sit down and teach you more about that, we'd be glad to do that. If you'll get in touch with us and we'll put you in contact with somebody who can assist you in learning what God's will for your life is. If you'd like to have a copy of our lesson today, a free printed transcript, it's yours for the asking. Simply ask for the lesson, Having the Heart of a Child. And we'll send that to you just as soon as we can. Thank you for joining us today for Let the Bible Speak. We hope you'll reach out and contact us online. LTBSTV.org is our website. You can find resources from Let the Bible Speak 24-7. We're also on social media. We have a YouTube channel, a Facebook page, and we hope that you'll like and follow those and subscribe to those various platforms, as well as our free podcast where you can listen to Let the Bible Speak on the go. Just search for Let the Bible Speak TV on those various media. Thank you for joining us today. I hope that you'll make your plans to join me back here next time for our next Bible study together. Until then, I hope you have a wonderful week ahead, and I pray the Lord's richest blessings according to His will will abide upon you. God bless. Let the Bible Speak is brought to you by The Church of Christ. For more information, including our past broadcast and sermon transcripts, visit ltbstv.org. Thanks for being with us today. Join us next time for Let the Bible Speak.